Redbird Report. I'm your host, Scott Freeros. With me today, I have my co-sports editor, Reed Watkins. Hello. And we have our sports reporter, Ken Canoon, with us as well. Hi, everybody. Uh, so it's the last Redbird Report of the semester. It'll be the last Redbird Report of Ken Canoon's career, graduating here, coming up here. So that'll be uh, pretty exciting. But uh, we got a lot to cover today, so we'll get right into it. Uh, I'll start a little bit with men's basketball. Ah. Uh, what a turnaround they've had, really, after that 2-6 and six start. I mean, you beat Belmont by 10, uh, shoot the lights out in the second half, then you go Eastern Michigan, come back from a number of deficits against Imoni Bates and Noah Farrakhan, both very good players. You shut them down to win by 6 there. And then the return to Horton game, which was everything that it was hyped up to be and more, they go ahead and take down SIUE, a very good SIUE team, uh, 77-71. Their offense is, seems to just have been unlocked lately i mean before this three game win streak their highest scoring game was i think 67 no 69 69. northwestern state yeah but then you go 87 against belmont 87 against eastern michigan 77 against siue and none of those teams are pushovers so what a turnaround for this team and i think it starts with just the ability to hold on to the basketball and then move it around offensively so you're getting the assist because the assist to turnover ratio was not great at the beginning of the year yeah, absolutely. It's tough to say so early in the season, but it felt like they were at a breaking point where if they yeah. continue to lose, they lose the entire fan base, at least for the year. So They had already started losing. It they had like started to lose a few, and I think I would feel safe to say they've brought a few back at this point after this um, win streak. And I mean, I've never heard the word electric used more than when describing the return to Horton. <sighs> I mean, it was thrilling. It was quite the atmosphere. Um just really fun to be a part of. Um, and I think everyone there kind of gets to, like, hold on to that going forward. Just um, say you were there when it happened. And um, that goes for the players who are going to go on to tell people about that for years. Like, it's just such a cool thing that they did. And I I don't know where you go from that in the years in the years Everyone to come. Everyone wants them to do it yearly. They want to I think that's a little, a little unrealistic. I will say I wish that they had scheduled a women's game on Sunday. I think that would yeah, be really cool. Yeah, both in there, yeah. You know, a little bit of an opportunity lost, in my opinion. So still just a, a really cool way to kind of get the old fan base back into it. Um, but if you think about it, you know, I was thinking on the way over here, it's like I think what was attendance, 3,600? Something along those lines. It was I like, mean, it's good, and they were charging about twice the price, if you think about it, for admission. But then if you put 3600 in red in Q, it's a down, down attendance day. So um, hopefully that can just get more people excited for a standard regular season game, and you can get some good turnouts going forward. I think that's just the hope. And... After, if you missed out on the return to Horton after hearing everyone talk about it, you're going to be excited for some ISU basketball. No, exactly. Kind of touching on both of your points. Um, first, Scotty, um, talking about their offense, 87, 87, 77. Um, moved them up to 10th in team offense for the Valley, averaging just, uh, just under 68 points per game, 67.91, the exact number. Um, to say the least that their offense hasn't been good would be a bit of like an understatement. Um, but 
you know, with this turnaround and a new head coach, completely new system, a shakeup um, in the roster, um, to see these results back to back to back is, is it, I would say it's very encouraging to say the least. And, you know, I've just heard nothing but good things about Peden and kind of transitioning over to that to the Horton Fieldhouse game, which was by all accounts electric, like Reed said, um, something like that not only energizes the fan base and draws in those fans, but I think it also energizes the players as well. And, you know, when you have those three wins back to back to back, you know, you start putting together a run of form. That's important um, as you continue on to the season and you uh, start getting into more and more games, you know, building off this hot streak, building on your offense and um, continuing to try to pass by on a defense where they rank eighth in the Valley right now. But um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of circumstances that uh, come into play with something like that in the Horton Fieldhouse game, but to A, win, and to B, have that much of an electric crowd building off back-to-back-to-back wins is critical for the Redbirds, especially after their early season woes. Yeah, definitely. A couple things I do want to touch on about this stretch. So over the first eight games of the season, they were out-rebounded by 11. Over the last three, they've out-rebounded opponents by uh, 29, I believe it is. Uh, after through the first eight games, they had an assisted turnover ratio of 79 to 121, which is just horrendous. Uh, but over the last three, they have a 42 to 37 assisted turnover ratio. A great turnaround there. And when talking to Peden after the return to Horton game, he said those were the two things. The rebounding has changed and the limiting turnovers and passing it and moving the ball a lot more has changed. So those will be get big things going forward. Um, and I think one of the biggest things about this stretch is the only game... Actually, no, there hasn't been a single game where they were fully healthy. Belmont, they were missing Joe Petrakis. Mm-hmm. Eastern Michigan, uh, McChesney went down. Poindexter didn't play at all that game, I believe. And then Petrakis was very limited. And then SIUE, McChesney didn't play at all. So they haven't been with their main starting five over this three-game win streak, and they're still putting up 87, 87, 77. That's, that's really encouraging to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we're going to see some answers to questions about who's going to fill in for McChesney if he's still out, but I'm hoping after a week, uh, a full over a full week out, I would assume that he's good to play in the Indy Classic. Based on seeing what we saw at the return to Horton game, the way he was he wasn't moving like a ton, but the way he was moving, you could tell it didn't mm-hmm. look like it was anything too serious, luckily. Yeah, and there was a chance that he would play that day still yeah. going up to it, so... Um, I would say he is good to go, and I'm just curious then after that how they fill in the rest of the lineup in terms of you know the forward position. Because um, he had Schmidt starting, but he hadn't really played a lot going into that game. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. I was kind of surprised to he- see him starting over um, Kotov Sissoko, who ended up impacting the game a little more, it seemed like, on Saturday. And then um, also Petrakis, who, um, I, and Austin Andrews for that matter. I started to wonder if uh, Petrakis was more of a coach's decision than an injury, but I, I think he still was moving a little slower than you're used to seeing him. So um, really limited Saturday. I hope to see him get back to full strength. And then I'm curious what Austin Andrews is capable of doing, and I'd like to see him get some extended playing time, yeah. um, especially if McChesney's limited. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see he didn't see the court in that game mm-hmm. i thought he'd be one of the players who did but i mean they're, they're finding their finding some rhythm there i mean like you said sissoko just an incredible block there in the return to horton game saved the game really in my eyes mm-hmm. i mean you turn what should have been a three-point game 
but then Miner goes up for a dunk for some reason instead of just putting up a layup and he gets blocked. And they have to foul, and it turns what could have been a three-point game into a seven-point game in a matter of three seconds. So um, these big guys are starting to step up when they need to. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens or how that uh, evolves going forward because they're going to need it. That's been, I think, that's clearly been the weakness going uh, early on in the season. It's just the fact that you have you have Poindexter, you have Kasubki, you have Sandage, you have Knight, um, all these guards that are able to play at a high level. But then Kendall Lewis has produced. Liam McChesney has been producing, but then, like, off the bench, it's just been a little bit of inconsistency in the post position. That's something that obviously will be a big thing going into conference play. Yeah, it's something massive going to conference play. And uh, just one positive thing about the Redbirds, um, Scotty, you talked about their horrendous assist-to-turnover ratio, how they've cleaned that up, which I thought was a great point. Um, their free throw percentage, 81.5%. Yeah, it's like, I think it's 19th in the nation is what it is, I believe. Yeah, I I I saw I I saw something on Twitter where it was retweeted and you know Illinois State was up there in the entire nation, but that's that's important. Free throws are just an underrated aspect of the game where it's you know one to two free points you know when you go to the line, and to shoot eighty one point five percent is important because that manufactures more points. You know you know it stalls the opposition offense it doesn't give any transition opportunities when you make free throws compared to someone like Missouri State who's hitting them at like a 56 percent rate you know but it's just important that you know you make your free throws and it's something really small but it can just play out over the course of a game yeah so I was actually very off so Illinois State is actually sixth in the country in free throw percentage right now at 81.5%, just 2% behind Miami, Ohio. Um, And they were shooting 75.1% last year, so over a 6% increase. Um, That's a big thing there. I believe it was actually uh, Darius Burford was 19th, I believe, Mm. in individual free throw percentage. Uh, I believe is what it was. 28 of 30? Something along those lines, yep. He's had a really good season from the line, which is really important to see there. Um... A but lot yeah. of people are attributing it to um, Rob Judson, the all-time career leader in free throw percentage at U of I. So interesting to see his impact on the team. Yeah, so actually Darius Burford launched up again because I'm assuming a lot of these guys played recently. So D- Burford actually jumped himself up to eighth in the country. So you have the, I said, sixth best team, yep, and then you have the eighth best individual free throw percentage. Uh, Kendall Lewis was up there for a lot of the year. He kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, he hasn't been taking as many free throws. He wasn't able to play a whole lot in that return to Horton game with his uh, foul trouble. But free throws are going to be big in conference play because I think ISU is the type of team who, if, they play, if they're playing the way they have been, it's going to be hard to blow this team out. So if you get into a late-game stretch where you're fouling them or you are making dumb plays and fouling them for, like unintentionally, they're going to knock down their free throws, it looks like, and that's going to be scary for a lot of these teams because that's going to win them games. And it's exciting for this team down the stretch because I don't know that you could rely on that as much last year down the stretch. So um, definitely an incredible turnaround for this team. Um, I think that's it for men's basketball. Anything else from you guys? That's all I got. No, that's all I had. So we do want to transition over to women's basketball. A little bit of a different turnaround for them. Uh, The men's basketball team, after starting 2-6, and Uh, they've won their last three. Um, the women's basketball team, after starting 5-0, and they are 1-3 and in their last four. Their only win being the Education Day against UMSL. Uh, they won by 15 in that game in the press conference. I think we talked about this last week. 
Gillespie was not happy with the way her team performed in that game. I mean, despite the win, she just she knows that her team is better than that. So you had the seven-point loss to UNLV when you had, I believe it was 25 turnovers. You lose to St. Louis by 10, a number of opportunities to get back in that game, and they just couldn't convert. And then Purdue, I believe they were down by two at halftime or something along mm-hmm. those lines, and then they ended up just falling apart in the uh, late third quarter, fourth quarter stretch. So I'm not sure really what has changed for the Redbirds, but they got to figure it out. Uh, I think similar to the men's team, the post play is just too inconsistent right now. Uh, another thing we talked about last week, I believe Deanna Wilson was 38% from the field and Kate Bowman was right around that same number. You can never have your starting power forward and center going 38% from the field. You're just not going to be able to win games like that. But it'll be interesting to see what uh, changes going forward because the guard play has been really good with Paige Robinson, especially averaging just about 21 points per game so far this year. Yeah, um, actually, talking about Paige Robinson, um, Synergy Sports, like one of the premier uh, statistical um, sites, and um, just pretty just like kind of like sites out there for statistics. Um, actually, had Paige Robinson ranked tenth uh, on points per possession um, in the in the entire nation, and this is uh, it was measuring offense offensive offensive efficiency among high volume scorers with a minimum of fifty. Possessions per game, and uh, yeah, Paige Robinson is putting up twenty point eight points per at the in the graphic twenty point eight points per game with a one point one six points per possession, which is incredibly efficient. That is almost mind boggling efficiency. Um, yeah, and just looking at the stats from the Purdue game, um, Robinson going eight for twenty five, one of eight from three, Crompton. 2 of 11, 2 of 9 from 3. A couple of uh, just poor shooting days, it seems, and not too many other people outside those uh, two are uh, producing. And we've also talked about Deanna Wilson, how her start to the season so far has been rocky and has continued to be uh, a little bit rocky. So, you know, I think once she starts to establish herself a bit more and give the offense another option, this time not on the perimeter but in the low posts, and uh, giving the Redbirds kind of the three-headed trident of Robinson, Crompton, and Wilson. Um, I think the offense should perk up a bit. And, yeah, I was surprised after the U.S. Uh, ML game, U.M.S.L. game, pardon me, um, that Gillespie wasn't happy. It, I don't think it was that bad of a game. They had, for the majority, like some open shots. and um, But, yeah, she's probably not happy that they lost her Purdue in the next game. Yeah, I mean... Um, I think this team just has some figuring out to do about um, outside of Crompton and Robinson where they're shooting or their points are going to come from. Um, and then, it's, yeah, the in the post-production area is another place they need to look at for improvement um, and finding some depth behind Deanna Wilson and someone who's able to step up if she continues to struggle scoring the ball. So I think that's where you need to look to improve. Um, but I think this team is regardless of how they finish non-conference play, I'm not sure how many games left they have even, but I think they're going to be ready to roll when it comes to the Valley. I think they're set on defending that title that they earned, and um, someone's going to have to come and take it from them. And I think Belmont's probably the number one candidate still, but I think, in my mind, ISU is still the favorite given that they won the tournament last year and Belmont's coming in, um, and the rest of the league doesn't know a whole lot about them. Yeah, definitely. Um, they have one more game here this Sunday, home against Green Bay, before they have about a week and a half off until they play Drake to open conference play at home. 
Um, it'll be a big game for them. They want to they want to end non-conference play with a win, so that'll be a big game for them going forward. And that is not an easy opponent to start. Not an easy two opponents to start a conference play for them with Drake and Northern Iowa, two of the better teams in the conference. I would say the four main teams to look out for in the conference, ISU, Belmont, Drake, you and I right now. I mean, those are the teams that are really competing at a high level. Um, and especially going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Illinois State stacks up against those opponents because no offense to the Redbirds, but you look at some of the scheduling for Drake, Belmont, and you and I, and they've had some opponents up there. Drake has had played three or four ranked opponents, Belmont along the same line, Northern Iowa, maybe a few less than them, but ISU is going to have to come ready to play every single conference game. And I, like you said, I think they do easily have the potential to win this conference again. It's just going to be a matter of if they can put it all together at the right time. Yeah, I think even if you look back to last season, there were points where it's like, what is, what is this team doing? And it's like they would get blown out by a team you wouldn't expect them to. I forget who it was. It might have been Bradley or someone late in the year. I can't remember exactly who it was. They struggled at the end of the year. Right. Say and, the least. Oh, it was uh, Drake. They lost 62 oh. to 104. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's games like that where this team, and obviously that's a little different personnel um, as it is any year, but um, I think this is a streaky team, and you saw the 5-0 start to the year, and now they're 1-3 in their past four. It's like I think they have the tools to even that out. It's just a matter of finding out how to do it, and um, I think consistent scoring from people outside of Robinson and Crompton is the key to that, but um, I think it's not a time to panic is what I'm no, saying. not at all. Um, given that they are have shown this in the past and figured it out at the right time like they did last year in the conference tournament. Reed, you actually brought up a great point because last year when me, Scotty, and one of our other reporters, Jacob Urish, were um, talking about basketball, we were looking at the women's basketball team and we were like, oh, you know, they've lost four straight. Um, you know, they eventually got the win against Bradley, but they ended the season on a little 1-4 cold streak. And we were going in like, oh, well, you know, we're not sure because, you know, they have the great personnel. And right before that, they were on like a, a little five-game win streak right there. Yeah, they were ridiculous. And all of a sudden, you lose form at that point in time. And it's like, well, okay, which do you believe? Do you believe that this team is the five-game win streak or the only uh, for the four-game losing streak with only one win uh, to end the season. And then it turns out, oh, they put it all together at the right time. Their defense really stepped up in the MVC uh, tournament, holding, you know, most teams, uh, the or the one-in-three seed, SIU and UNI, to under 50, and then Loyola to 52 in the quarterfinals. And you make a great point about this team being streaky, so maybe it is just one of those streaks, or maybe, you know, it could be something for legitimate worry. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they rebound from this. you got to find some consistencies offensively and defensively, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, they got a they got a tough stretch ahead of them once you start conference play with Drake and you had to open up. But it'll be a good test for them, I think, for sure. Uh, I think that's it for women's basketball. We do have one more thing to talk about. Uh, the track and field team finished off their 2022 uh, calendar year completely with the Blue Demon Holiday Invitational. Um, they won 10 events, and I believe it is Hasi Fashina Bombada, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, had two sprint victories, including uh, breaking the school record in the 60-meter 60 60 meter hurdles. A uh, huge weekend for her, and really a good start to this uh, indoor season for her as well. But... Uh, just as a team as a whole, I believe they've won 10 events in both of these opening meets to start the season. So 
I mean, they were picked to win the conference in the indoor season, and I think they're living up to those expectations right now. Yeah, I think they're just kind of doing what's expected, and it's good to see. It's good to see that um, not falling short of anything they are able to do, and it's just a great reason to be excited. I mean, breaking the school record in your second meet says a lot about what you can do with the rest of your time here, and I think it's just a great reason to be excited, a great reason to continue the high expectations for this season, um, finishing up indoor and then going to the outdoor in the spring. And then, yeah, so you actually uh, are kind of going to drop on the point that I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm just looking at uh, what the assistant coach, Deshaun Jordan, said after the game, and he said, I believe today went like we expected. Our athletes have worked very hard this fall, and today was a good day to execute, and we just did that. Um, he said that when he was speaking to GoRedbirds.com. And it's clear that they have very, very high expectations for the at least the indoor field and then transitioning that to, you know, potentially in the spring. So, you know, I think that's good that they have a clear goal of what they want to reach, what bar that they're setting and that they can reach it. And so far, they've done really, really well. Like Scotty said, back-to-back 10-win uh, uh, invites is uh, something to be proud of. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, like I said, they are done for the 2022 calendar year. Uh, they'll be back in action at Horton Fieldhouse January 14th. Um, just a really good, strong start to the season. I think they're going to live up to their expectations as it goes on because it's not just Fushina Bombada that's doing it. Everyone is stepping up. Like I said, 10 event wins. I mean, that's not an easy feat in back-to-back meets. So, I think I'm really excited for what's to come for this team, and it's going to be really exciting to see. I think that's it. Anything else from you guys? That's all I got. No, that's all I have. All right, so uh, we will be done for the 2022 uh, year. Uh, We'll be back in action after the uh, holiday break, but in the meantime, make sure to follow our Twitter accounts at the underscore vidette and at vidi underscore sports, and uh, we'll see you later.